join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for illuminating the scriptures to uh, really place on our hearts and lives what you want us as a church to do and how to respond and how to act. So we pray for your leading, your direction, your prompting during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, back when I was... 15 years old and learning to drive. Anybody remember that stressful time? Anybody teaching their 15-year-old to drive? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Well, my parents got me behind the wheel uh, as often as possible, and we'd made some trips to Portland in this big expedition that we had. Uh, but the car that I was going to be driving happened to be this um, thing called a stick shift. Anybody familiar with one of those? Right? Okay, yeah. So my dad, on a camping trip, really wanted me to learn how to drive this thing really well. So we had made our way to Klamath Falls, and we have lunch, and I've got some friends on this trip with me, and they're in the back seat, and my dad, he had driven us to Klamath, but after lunch, we get to the car, and he says, Brett, it's your turn. Yay. Now, is it even legal for a 15-year-old to drive non-family members with an adult in the car? It it is. Wow. Okay. So not in my household. Um, So I begrudgingly, begrudgingly say, okay, Dad, you want me to do this? That's that's fine. And my friends just get this big grin on their face because, you know, learning a stick shift is a lot of fun. And as we pull out of where we are at Klamath, uh, I was really hoping to hit every green light. I did not. And the red light that I got stuck on happened to be on a hillside. So we get to the hillside, and my dad looks at me, and he goes, we're going to learn something new today. I go, what's that? Put it in neutral, pull the e-brake, and you're going to learn how to baby the clutch and do this this way. You sure, Dad? I'm sure. Look in the rearview mirror. No car behind me. Light turns green. We try to slowly pop the clutch, put the gas, let go of the e-brake. It was this Jeep that had the brake in the middle. And (laughs) nothing. And all these giggles from these 15-year-old boys in the back seat, right? Just these halfway man giggles, but still going through puberty kind of giggles. (laughs) I know, they're fun. And we had rolled back a little bit, and, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And how we rolled back gave me a little bit, enough, just enough to pull back forward to the light. So I stopped there, and, and all of a sudden I see this car coming behind us. I know, put pressure on it. And the giggles in the backseat of my car get louder. And I go, what's going on? They're like, there's some really good-looking girls behind us, man. <laughs> so I adjust the mirror. Try to play it cool, right? Same thing, my dad coaching me through this. And here we go. I feel the momentum a little bit. Kerplunk. The car just jolts and it stalls again. Fast foot on the brake. My dad just yanks the e-brake because he doesn't want me to hit the people behind me. And my friends are like, those girls are laughing, dude. (laughs) Gosh. Wow, stressful situation, light turned red, pulled back forward, ultimately, you know, at this point I wanted to do one of those fire drills where you run around the car and change seats with everybody, 
my dad wouldn't let me. And, and ultimately, he coaches me through this situation. All right. Thankful for my dad to do that. Now, we're going to come back to the story in just a little bit. But I want you to think through a time in your life uh, where teaching was really invaluable to you, where somebody taught you maybe a trade, they taught you a way of thinking, they taught you a rule of life in which you took and applied to yourself and you went, my goodness, I finally mastered this concept and now I can begin to not only live it out in my own life, but teach it to others. Maybe it was when you learned to play a sport or play an instrument or to fly fish or shoot a rifle. And these are kind of the things that you get first put in your hand and you have no idea what you're doing. And after several YouTube videos or maybe somebody coming alongside of you, you learn something to the degree that you have now mastered it and are able to actually use it in your life. Now, what does that have to do with us today? If you're familiar with church and sort of this church structure, have you ever wondered why we devote 30 to maybe 40 minutes, depending who's speaking here on a Sunday morning, to this time of instruction and teaching? Why we, specifically at Redeemers, but the church in general, highly value actually opening up our Bibles and reading them and seeing what they have to say. Why we at this church have encouraged you to look at the list of books in the back and we say, go read those, or we constantly tell you, go listen to The Bible Project, a great podcast, or Tim Keller's podcast. Why we encourage a small group. Why not just us, but millions of Christians around the world are gathering and doing the same thing. What drives this idea, this intent for study particularly, specifically, in the realm of the church. Why do we take and devote so much time to this? Well, we're going to unpack that this morning. We're going to start with a quote from uh, our good old friend, Dallas Willard, who you hear us quote often and frequently around here. should be thrown up on the screen. Willard says, We truly live at the mercy of our ideas. If you take notes, just write that one down. And I'm going to have you maybe at some point during this week go back and just meditate and think on that. We truly live at the mercy of our ideas. Our thoughts are one of the most basic sources of our life. They determine the orientation of everything we do and evoke the feelings that frame our world and motivate our actions. If you can think back as a church when we studied through the celebration of disciplines by Richard Foster, he has this great line in there in which he said, the mind will always take on an order that conforms to the order of whatever it concentrates upon. Essentially, what these two guys are saying is your thought life matters. Just pause. Think about that. Your thought life, what you daydream about, what you fantasize about, what you think about, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, what you take in on a daily intake, all of that matters. How so? All of that has a way in which it forms and shapes our lives. I grew up going to church, and when you grew up going to church, you often are part of, at least in the generation I came through, this thing called Sunday school. And if you were in Sunday school, you always had the one lady who was like 90 who said this. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. If you take that garbage in, that's what's going to actually come out of you. And to some degree, and it actually stuck with me, 
absolutely correct and right. The ideas, thoughts, opinions that we give ear to, think on, mull over within our minds, begin to actually take form and shape in our lives, enter into us, and then we project them back out into the world. Well, what does this have to do with what we've been talking about the last few weeks? We're going to pop up on the screen, just for a quick reminder, uh, what we've been discussing and working through. Is that? Yeah. Uh, These three buckets that we said, this is what a healthy church is about. There's lots of categories you could probably write on, think through, but we said there's heart church. And when people think about heart church, they come to church with this aspect idea of, did I feel something when I left this place? And we dealt with that two weeks ago. Then we have, three weeks ago, then we have hands church. Carson did an excellent job. Did I do something? Am I participating in the works of God, serving, caring, loving one another, doing these acts of ministry and mercy one to another? This morning, what we're going to focus is on this idea of head church. What people often ask themselves is, did I learn something? And go to that next slide here. Within that box, we have this idea of, did I learn something? A Bible church, teaching church, preaching church, knowledge church, learning church, discussion church. We can go down all of these ideas of what it means to be a head church. Reality is, instruction is important in forming your life. We value teaching, discussion, study, all kinds of forms in which we transfer knowledge one to another about the good news of Jesus, because listen, the scriptures do. If you have your Bibles open, we're going to look at Acts 5, 24. It says, now, when the captain of the temple... And the chief priests heard these words. They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple. And what are they doing? Teaching the people. They're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And when the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you. This is previously. We've already told you guys once. We strictly charge you not to teach in the name, in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses for these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Right? They break in the next few verses, and they go and have this talk with this very well-respected rabbi, and he says, look, this might come to naught, this might go on to something, but hey, let's give these guys some room. So then it says in verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Why in the church, maybe even why specifically in this church, do we place such a high emphasis and value on the scriptures? Well, I would say it's because the scriptures do themselves. Jesus did and the early church did. As we've looked at the first beginnings of the church in every single one of the first seven chapters, 
there is an explicit statement of the importance of teaching. It says in Acts chapter 1, this is all about what Jesus began to do and teach after he had raised through the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, Peter preaches. Acts 3, Peter preaches. Acts 4, you see the church gathering and teaching from home to home. Acts 5, we see them teaching once again and continuing to go home to home. Acts 6, we see that Stephen is filled with the Spirit and they can't refute him. The free men from the synagogue as he's explaining, discussing, talking about Jesus. Acts 7, Stephen gives this incredible speech on the story of God and he gets killed for his belief in Jesus. Jesus. The scriptures place a high priority absolutely on the gathering of the saints and this particular aspect in which we participate when the saints gather. Why? I don't know if you know this or not, but words are really powerful, aren't they? Who's been hurt by words? I have. We've all been the recipient of hurtful words. I would hope that many of us in here have been recipients of wonderful, blessing kind of words as well. For whatever reason, God himself chose words to be the primary vehicle in which to communicate with humanity, and he even used it to speak this world into existence. He then continues to use words to speak to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He then has this written word, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that he gives the people of God and adds unto it. So we have instruction about who he is and how he communicates to us and what he desires for humanity. Words are powerful because God designed them to be powerful. There is no empty or vain word spoken in this world. There is power behind them. What is the power behind them, though? When somebody tells you you're stupid, you're dumb, what happens? We go and think about that statement, don't we? And we dwell upon it. And it's in that moment when we give way to those thoughts that they begin to take power in our lives and form us and shape us. And we begin to live out the realities of what they've spoken to us, regardless if they're true or not, but have enough people say the same thing and you start to believe it about yourself, don't you? Words are incredibly powerful. And God uses them to speak to us here. There's three ways in which we're gonna talk about this this morning and then we'll get you out of here. Number one... Reading and study are important for the Christian walk because we're placing God's word in our hearts and lives. Preaching, this aspect of what's happening up here right now, at least I hope. (laughs) Preaching is a way that God speaks to us and his words wash over us. And then also teaching. And yes, I'm separating those out, though there is some overlap within those two things. The sad truth is, Sad truth is, as we talk about first and foremost study and reading, many Christians don't read their Bibles outside of Sunday, let alone participate in individual study or self-education. This comes from uh, Lifeway Research, Bob Smedita, and he says this, Americans have a positive view of the Bible. However, more than half of Americans have read little or none of the Bible. Check out this chart from uh, Scott McConnell that's up there. How often do you read the Bible? 32% of evangelicals responded to this. They read it every day. 27% of evangelicals read it a few times a week. 12% once a week. 11% a few times. 5% once a month. 12% of evangelical professing Christians 
never, ever open their Bibles. McConnell says, most Americans don't know firsthand the overall story of the Bible because they rarely pick it up. Even among worship attendees, less than half read the Bible daily. The only time most Americans hear the Bible is when somebody else is reading it. Most of us don't take the time to open the scriptures and hear, what does God say? What does he talk about in regards to who I am? The destination of humanity, where it's headed. How you are the beloved, you are a saint. And we don't wash ourselves in that word. And what's a shame is that the most content the vast majority of Christians get in this country is the 15 to 25 minutes they hear on a Sunday morning. And quite frankly, if you want your life to be conformed to that of Christ, I just don't think that's enough. I don't. You won't be conformed to what you don't spend time around. This isn't a guilt thing, shame on you thing. It's a, oh my goodness, what actually is forming my life and my views on the world, my views on people, my views on how we should treat everything going on around us. This idea of study is a powerful tool that God has given us to help our minds be conformed to his. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, the key to every man is his thought. The key to every man is his thought. Sturdy and defined he looks. He has a helm which he obeys. The ideas you entertain in your head, the thoughts you have about the thoughts people have of you, the discussions you engage in, it all matters in shaping you as a person. You may look sturdy and head in a direction, but it's your thought life that begins to determine how you actually live. And what God wants to do is he wants to get you into a form of right thinking with him at the head. We don't want to compete with God's thoughts and God's ways. We want to come under him and under him being conformed in his image. Luke 10, 27 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Good, you're awake. I love it. All your mind. To love God with all of your mind is to actually dedicate your mind to him, to think upon him. In Deuteronomy 11.18, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be at the frontlets between your eyes, your mind. You should be thinking on these things. And God uses study, reading as a central way in which he wants to get into your life and influence you. When we study the scriptures, we begin to think how God thinks which then begins to transform our lives to live how Jesus lived. As image bearers, you are going to image something. It's just an innate issue in every single person. I've been hanging around my son too much. I keep saying things like, bruh. (laughs) And he goes, bruh, that's sus. And I'm like, that's sauce? Like, I know what that, that sauce is. That's awesome sauce, right? No, that's sus, dad, like suspect. I'm like, dude, you're 10, <laughs> for sure. So you spend time around something, you begin to act and talk like them. And the immaturity, ask my wife, comes out real quick when I hang out with my son. It's fantastic and beautiful and a lot of fun in our house. Because why? We're image bearers. Yes, I reflect 
even my son, who I'm spending time around. But ultimately what had happened in the fall is that that was shattered, broken. We were to reflect God's image. Now we try to reflect any and everything else in the world that we think will satisfy and give us hope. In that same garden scene you have Adam and Eve, and when the serpent comes to tempt, he doesn't bring a bat or a golf club and say, do this or else. He implants an idea, a thought in their mind. Is God really good? Did God really say that? And it causes them to think and dwell on it. He says, no, you can be like God. Reach for heaven without him. It's the way to life. Dallas Willard said, as we turn away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the first movement toward the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. See, the wisdom of the world is going to suggest a similar way of change. When I was in second grade, this is Flannery's class. We had this teacher that would come in and we'd sing this song, and you've heard me do this before up here. It's beautiful. It's why I'm not on the worship team. <clears throat> I like myself the way I am. There's nothing I would change. And we would sing that over and over and over again. And there's this idea of self love is the way to really self-actualization and becoming the person you need to be to live in this world around you. If you love yourself perfectly, then you can fully be human. That's the way to the good life. But shoot, I look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't always like myself the way that I am. (laughs) There's a handful of things or a lot I would love to change at times, right? It doesn't work just to speak that to ourselves. Or what we do is is we go to others to speak positive thoughts and positive ideas into our life. And as encouraging as that can be, because we all need something outside of ourselves to encourage us. We all need someone outside of us to affirm us and tell us that we're meaningful and beautiful and lovely and you want to be around me. Humans fail us. And sadly, those closest to us have the most ability to actually harm us because when they fail us, it cuts us deep. And so we go outside to people, to jobs, and we say, maybe, maybe this can be the thing that will influence my life to bring me the good life. And it's problematic. However, the scriptures don't point us into either of those two directions. It adds something different. What does God say about you? And your life needs to be formed and shaped by him. And when we understand who we are in God, then we can love others the way we ought to, and we can speak blessing and kindness and grace, and we can welcome them in, and we can do that. We can also then, in a um, not of the first sense, but truly know ourselves and, dare I say, love ourselves, because we know we're loved by God. We're accepted. We're welcomed. But how are you going to get there if you're not taught this, if you don't study this? if you don't know what the scriptures say about who you are. This is why study is important, number one. Two, preaching. We're going to move through these. Preaching and and teaching. Let me just kind of lump these two together. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, I sure hope I have this ready. Yep. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believer an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Did that this morning. To exhortation. 
Hopefully that's, that's happening right now. Exhortation, preaching, speaking truth and love into your life, where you're at in this moment, and to teaching. We spent so much time in the celebration of discipline and what would have been more classification of just teaching. This is how-tos and what it looks like to follow Jesus. Do not neglect the gift which you have been given by prophecy with the council of elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Why do we preach? This idea of preaching is exhortation, exposition, admonishment, encouragement, comfort, whole host of other things. Here's, here's one thing I know about preaching. You may not hear anything new from me up here if you've walked with Jesus for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. You, you might. Maybe I present something that's contrary to your beliefs and the traditions you were raised in, and I'll get an email, and it's cool. <laughs> and I'll probably like, eh, maybe. It's open-handed, I guess. So, 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 so maybe... You're not going to hear anything new. But what preaching is, is you're hearing something here, now, for you. In your life, our church, corporately together, that the Spirit is saying, this is the direction I see for Redeemer's Church and how I want you to impact the kingdom of God. This is what preaching does. It moves us, motivates us as we come underneath the authority of Jesus. And as a church, we've been talking so much about what a healthy church looks like. You can go listen to Keller talk about a healthy church. It'll be way more intellectual. Or you can listen to Groeschel talk about a healthy church. It'll be far more probably provocative and entertaining. All right? That's great because that's for them where they're at, and it's the same truths that we're declaring, but we are in little old Redmond, Oregon, a congregation of 100 adults, and this is the word of the Lord for you today. This is why we come to the local church. This is why we spend time preaching, because I believe that the Spirit wants to move each and every time we show up in this place to speak to us as a congregation, not just individually. Very important for us this morning. Preaching has this moment where the glory of Christ is revealed and our hearts are open and it begins to work in us. Rarely, other than when you hear the gospel and respond to it, rarely will you hear a sermon that you remember, right? I mean, I might remember a snippet of two weeks ago, but that's just because Carson taught and it wasn't me. It was awesome, (laughs) right? But what preaching also does is little by little, it is putting deposits into your life. So when you're faced with challenges and decisions, you end up drawing from those. Maybe unknowingly, but they've been placed inside of you and it's forming you. It's working in you. And then when those moments come, it's what comes out of you. That's where preaching has so much value. It's not just education, but it's encounter with God and what he's doing. Teaching, Matthew 28, we read this this morning. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We always stop there, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where does it continue? Go teaching them to observe all that I have shown you or commanded you. That idea of observe means teach them to follow in my ways. 
Teach them what it looks like to pray. Teach them what it looks like to love. Teach them what it looks like to be generous. We need to be taught this, and we need to be provoked, and we need to be pushed towards actually living that out in our lives. And we're commanded to do that here. This is where teaching is so important within the church to teach, yes, Christian doctrine, and also to just teach the simple ways that Jesus laid before each and every one of us. And the idea then with teaching is that you would get it. Remember my opening story? Like, I finally did with that stick shift. Well, I looked it up, and I'm apparently a millennial anomaly. I'm one of like 20% of millennials that can drive a stick shift. (laughs) Yeah, right? So when I say I'm average, I'm actually a little above average. (laughs) You'll remember that. Well, what do I do with that knowledge? Well, we used to have this, uh, this Dodge truck, and it was a five-speed. My wife's on the 80% of people that didn't learn to drive a stick shift. Burn. <laughs> I'm always so nice to you. So, so, so here's, here's what I got to do. Not, not with my wife, but we got this big family of six, right? And my daughter, Eleanor, would ride in between us. And whenever we drove the truck, I would have her shift the gears, and she learned, not the clutch and the gas, she was like seven, right, five, something like that, but, but she learned, because I was able to teach her how we start and what we move through. I went from not just learning something to being able to do it myself, but then to teaching others. This is what a head church should be all about. You don't just come here every week to learn something new and to get something put into your life, but you're learning so that you can go out into the world, into your small group to your workplace, with your friends that do or do not know Jesus, and you can apply what you've learned and take it to them to show them who Jesus is. This is the goal of a head church, is to move from just knowing things to actually doing things and then going out from here. Um, I feel like for us this morning, this is what I want to end on for you guys. How can I do this? How can I do this? Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. A head church in that big bucket there is not a church that just has a few intellects that come up here and they speak or a few really good motivational speakers that can move a crowd. A head church is an invitation for you all to participate in. For it to actually grab a hold of your heart and say, I want to study, I want to know why, so I can be super smart and I can put everybody's arguments just to snuff, just put them out. No. Because as we learn about Jesus, we become more like who we spend time with, and then we go out into the world and reflect that. If your studying of Jesus leads you to being prideful and arrogant, there's a door right there you can leave. But if your study of Jesus makes you a more humble, kind, loving person, that's who I want to spend time with. That's what should be happening in our lives. 
And I'll tell you this, I'm really thankful for the abundance of great speakers and teachers we have in our church, but that cannot be the only place in which we get fed. Self-discipleship, grab the books, listen to podcasts, get in a small group, teach each other. You have different ideas than me. I love it. How often do you hear pastors say that? You might do things different than me. I'm okay with that. Let's engage what God is placing on our lives and in our hearts as he's speaking to us to go impact the world around us. You have the ability to learn, to grow, to gain understanding, but it's not just for you. It's for you to go and share with others. Finally, why is this important? Without opening the scriptures to study them, to have this kind of teaching in our lives and sound doctrine, all the church becomes is a social club. Maybe it does some good efforts, but as Mark Sayers would say, they want the kingdom without the king. In our story this morning, it wasn't that these early Christians were loving that got them beat and thrown in jail. It wasn't that they served other people. It's because of the truth that they preached and stood upon. Therefore, as a church, we cannot neglect that We must come back to it over and over and over again as this deep well in which we draw from and drink that will fuel our lives and our hearts. May we be saturated in his word. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning uh, just for your power and the way you move and your welcoming, loving invitation to your life. I pray that we would respond to you now in appropriate ways of praise and worship, declaring who you are, celebrating you as we take communion with one another. God, may you be glorified in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's gonna happen if you're, if you're new here this time? We're gonna respond in singing and praise, and we're gonna sing this first song, and Michael will open the tables for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to grab communion, and then Kitty's going to come up here, and Kitty is going to lead us in communion. And then we're going to continue to sing, and there's an offering box in the back to give to what God is doing. But this is a time to reflect, to think upon who Jesus is, how he loves us, and how that influences our lives and changes us. Let's worship the Lord now together. Let's all stand. Just as Brett said, the tables are open. If you follow Jesus as his disciple, you come grab the bread and the cup. And after this next song that we sing together, Kitty's going to lead us in taking the bread and the cup. So just grab it, bring it back to your seat, and then uh, wait for Kitty to come lead us. Kitty's an actual person, not a cat. So uh, just to clarify, let's worship. Jesus, you are king.